0: is the Game Misconduct Podcast
1: with Don LaGreca.
0: Hey everybody, it's Don LaGreca with the Monday edition of Game Misconduct, and you know what Monday means. Monday means the great EJ Raddick, and when he's not talking hockey, he's ranting about his Yankees, and we started this recording later than we wanted to because he was ranting about his Yankees. He's EJ Raddick. How are you, sir?
1: Yeah. Well, I was just saying, it's time for change, <laughs> and you know, Brian Cashman. It's been a nice run, but see ya. You know, it's time for something new.
0: Mm.
1: And uh, you know that that you know that that decision to get well, Stanton a couple of years ago. What a disastrous decision! We already had a guy who was the same oh guy, Aaron Judge, who's a similar big, strong, power-hitting guy, right-hand hitter. But anyway, All
0: right. This I is mean, my respite. No I'm going to get that. E.J., I got that for four and a half hours coming up. One of the reasons I do do game (laughs) misconduct is because we can't talk four and a half hours about what we're about to talk about on game misconduct.
1: You know what? Call the K-Show today and bitch your
0: on, okay?
1: (laughs) I will call call in later in between breaks of my show. That's right. I will call in to complain. The worst thing of all is they're unwatchable now, and that's problematic, I think. But anyway, we digress.
0: So during breaks of NHL Now on the NHL Network from 4 to 6 Eastern time, EJ can squeeze in a call. EJ from Secaucus ripping uh, Brian Cashman and the New York Yankees. But but, but where to begin? I mean, here we are deep now into the second round. And and, and for the Montreal Canadiens, they can finish off their second round tonight at home against the Winnipeg Jet team that, listen, they're not a great team. These are two of the worst playoff teams. That's why we know they're going to take on Colorado or Vegas when that series is over, just for the way the seedings are. But how much of this has to do with the loss of Shifley? Not just what he brings to the table, EJ, but just the emotion of it all, because They they should not be down three games to none in this series. They should be giving a little bit more than they're giving. Is it all about what happened in game one?
1: Well, I think losing Mark Schrifle is a big problem because he's your top center and it sets everybody back into a different role and creates problems. And they also lost Dylan DeMello, I believe, in game one, missed some time. And, you know, that creates problems on your defense as well because now you're bringing you know, Jordy Ben is in the lineup, but I watched Nick Suzuki just blow right by him last night, and, you know, there's a reason that Jordy Ben is like a 7-D. So, um, you know, these are problems, and, you know, here's the thing. The Montreal Canadiens have been on a nice run. They found their way in Game 5. The coach decided, you know what, hey, we're going to start really leaning on these four big, strong four defensemen we have with Weber and Edmondson and, and Sherrod and Petrie. And if you look at the numbers, those guys played a lot more minutes in game five, six, right through here. They've been leaning on those guys. And it was, I think, a smart decision by Dominic Kishar, who I thought started the playoffs, kind of very confused about his lineup and who, who they were going to be. But, you know, Carey Price has been rock solid. The team has every confidence in him, as they should. Those big, strong defensemen are hard to play against. It's hard to get to the net. And conversely, if you go look at the goals scored in this series against Connor Hellebach, it's like a party going on in the crease. Yeah. I mean, the Canadians are, you know, they're reliving past glories, having conversations, and enjoying life, you know, in front of Connor Hellebach. And it's really, um, you know, that's to me the whole series has been so far, aside from the fact they also have a couple of shorthanded goals, which never help. But. Right from the start of game one, uh, the, the two first couple of goals that were scored, Kakiyemi had a deflection in front and then stole, uh kind of out of a scrum. And we've seen a number of goals scored like that against the Jets. So, uh, to me, I mean, this is merciful at this point just to end this tonight and let's, you know, get get on with it because, uh, you know, Montreal has just seen much the better of the team. And, you know, Shifley won't be back until later in the series if the Jets can win a few games and you know I guess we shouldn't write anybody off because we saw Montreal climb out of that 3-1 hole to get to, to beat Toronto but boy just the Jets just don't look in sync right now at no.
0: all. and you know the short turnaround which could actually work to the detriment of Montreal I don't know if you've heard the status of Jeff Petrie at this point got his hand stuck in the camera hole in uh, near the boards and did not finish the game last night and you just talked about
1: yeah that could be significant
0: yeah because he's one of those four you just brought up so i I, listen i think it's too late for winnipeg to take advantage of it to advance but you know it definitely could hurt them you know tonight and and get the series going because i listen if montreal's got any shot against the winner of vegas in colorado they got to try to finish this series up quick, and then just have Vegas and Colorado beat each other up for seven games, which I think is a very good possibility because it's men against boys. I mean, you watch the playoffs, and listen. I know Tampa's the defending Stanley Cup champions, and all this this Colorado Vegas series is on a completely different level. Uh, I'm, I've I've said it. I, I think the winner of that series wins the cup.
1: Well. I wouldn't be so quick to write on Tampa, but I would say that uh, you have a, you know, I think that you you might be onto to something. And here's the problem, though, I have watching this series, is that Vegas has completely dominated the last two and a half games. And if it weren't for the great play of Philip Grubauer at a kind of, you know, a ticky-tack penalty in overtime that led to a power play goal for the Avalanche in game two, they could be behind easily three games to one. And as I watch, you know, Don, sometimes you look and you go, okay, well, they're at home and the crowd and, and you know, and, and, and like, okay, when they get back to Colorado, they could turn it around. I really wonder. I don't know what the – what are the adjustments for the Colorado Avalanche? I mean, they're, they're really hurt by – in this series in particular – by the loss of Nazem Kadri, who's proven to be a very unreliable commodity. Uh, with his actions where he got suspended. So now he's not there. So you have Yost has moved up to the second center spot. He's kind of been overwhelmed by that Carlson line. In uh, in Vegas they've been able to use Stone and company to, and Stevenson to really kind of shut down McKinnon, the McKinnon line at 5-on-5. Five five. Uh, I look at that Colorado defense, you know, and again, this is where things you don't notice start to really happen in certain matchups. And Eric Johnson has missed most of the year for the Avalanche, and he had a concussion problem. And like they didn't, they didn't miss him all that much. They had these quick defensemen that are good players, and we've talked about some of them throughout the year. Kale McCarr is a, a Norris Trophy type guy down the road, and you know we talked about the uh, Devon Tays from the Islanders coming in and being such a good player, but. They could really use a big, strong guy like Eric Johnson in this series, someone that's longer and harder to defend against the bigger forwards of the Vegas Golden Knights. Because right now, like Samuel Gerard, seems like he looks like he's getting eaten alive in, in these last couple of games. Uh, Patrick Nemeth is, is kind of showing us why he was a member of the Red Wings the last couple of years. I mean, this might be over his pay grade to be in yeah. this kind of game. Uh, You know, Connor Timmons is a young guy that I liked as a junior, but really not a lot of experience. Um, So right now, watching these games, and I I, I think the shots are like it's a 2-to-1 ratio. It's like a 100-something and to 50-something. I don't have the exact numbers in the last couple of games, but it's been a shocking kind of domination, I would say. Like, the Avalanche have really... Really struggled in these last couple of games, and really going back even to that that game too. So Jared Bednar tried, you know, tried to like take his team to task after game three, and uh, you know we're not working hard enough, and we got to be way better. And he was very critical. And that, and then last night, uh, you know, they had an early lead, and then it just, you know, it just fell apart. We're kind of a strange goal early in the game that tied the game, and then. Vegas really owned most of the chances after that. So, you know, for me, I just don't know what the adjustment is for Colorado. They're not getting they're not getting Cadre back until Game Seven at this point, and there might not be a Game Seven the way they're playing right now, Johnny. I got to tell you, I'm really impressed with Vegas, and I would say that uh, a couple of people have used this word, so I'll use it as well. They look more hungry. Yeah, they do hungrier than the Avalanche right now. So, you know, and and they're bigger and stronger on defense. So. We'll see how it plays out uh, tomorrow night in Denver, but uh, they're going to have to pull a rabbit out of their hat to get this thing turned around because right now they're getting dominated.
0: And, and Vegas is a different team with a healthy Max Pacioretty. He's, he has really been a force for them offensively, something they didn't have early in that Minnesota yes, series.
1: Yes, he has. He's been a, he's been red hot, and, uh, you know, let's face it, if they win and Montreal wins, that'll be an interesting storyline that, you know, Pacioretty was traded for Montreal, and there was some, you know... I guess it wasn't a very happy ending there, and he ends up in Vegas. and So that could be an interesting series. But uh, I don't know what to say. I'm really, uh, you know, the Avalanche looked so good in game one against a tired Vegas team. That extra day off in the playoffs, Don, for a team that loses and is struggling can be so helpful in terms of just getting reset and getting adjusted. And because the Denver Nuggets were playing on the Tuesday. the the two teams had to wait an extra day and you saw the difference in Vegas in Game Three. Game 2, they were way better and right now, even though the series is tied, it feels like it's really swung in their favor.
0: Yeah, it does, and and the advantage, obviously, that they had, short turnaround for Vegas, long layoff for Colorado, it certainly worked to the Avalanche's advantage in that blowout win in Game 1 and as you said, You know, if not for that penalty in Game Two, you know they could have won three straight here and be looking to make short work of Colorado. So we'll see if the Avalanche can bounce back. Uh, Bruins Islanders is everything we thought it would be, even at two. Huge game tonight back in Boston. And listen, there's been passion in both buildings. I, I I don't think it much matters. But what I like about the Islanders is you don't like the fact they give up that early goal. But they've been able, at least a couple of times in these playoffs, be able to bounce back from it. I mean, what are you feeling going into this Game 5 tonight? Those odd-number games are always pivotal. 2-2 series, Game 5. You feeling anything after that game the other night? No, I just think
1: it's a real close series. And, uh, you know, the Islanders give them credit for bouncing back. I mean, really, when you think about it, right, it was uh, – in both games, in games three and four at the Coliseum, I mean, it was a, a bad angle shot from Brad Marchand. that was the difference in the game that probably should never gone in. And then it was a, a kind of swipe by Matthew Barzell, you know, picking a puck out of the air and, or just as it was landing on the ice and putting it past Tukorask. I mean, that was the difference in that game because it was just two empty netters at the end. So these are just close, tight, hard, Battles, and you know, I think the Islanders have a little benefit in that they they seem to be a little bit healthier now. They're missing Anders Lee, so that's a huge loss, and they've been dealing with that for a while. But you know, Boston losing Brandon Carlo—that's a big loss because he's a big, long, right-shot defenseman, and this has been a theme of our conversation so far today, right? Big, strong, lanky, long defenseman. You know, and I think. In the playoffs, those kind of guys are really valuable. It's the reason why Montreal went out and, and traded for the rights and eventually signed a guy like Joel Edmondson. And that's why Joel Edmondson was part of a cup winner because, like, he's not going to win it on his own, but he's a good piece in playoff competition, hard to play against, long stick, can be, can be strong around his net and in those dirty areas. So... Carlo isn't as physical, let's say, but he's a big, lanky guy that's just hard. He's a good defender. He kills plays early. Uh, and and without him now, they've got to go deeper into their roster of defenders. So, um, for me, that's a, that's a plus for the outers. I would expect the Bruins will bounce back. Bruce Cassidy's kind of called out his third line. Charlie Coyle and company, he'll probably make a one or two adjustments to his lineup tonight. Um, both goalies have been really good. Uh, both teams have been in the battle. Matthew Barzell picked his game up the other night, and yeah. uh, you know it was quite a night for him. I mean, he was getting banged around, then he was, you know, took a penalty himself, and then he makes a great play on the on the tying goal and he draws a penalty but stays with the play and gets it in front to Everly, and then he uh, scores that game winning goal. Now the question will be for Matt Barzell: Can he take that game with him? on the road to Boston in a tougher matchup situation, likely, and break through. So that's the question for him. But, boy, he was uh, he was terrific the other night, and it had everybody looking back and at his draft year when the Boston Bruins had three consecutive picks, and Matt Barzell was not one of them, and he went next to the New York Otters at 16. So, uh, you know, certainly... He was making them maybe rethink that tradition the other night because he was excellent in game four.
0: Yeah, and beauvillier has been good uh, not only in this series but in these playoffs too. They've been looking for that other guy and maybe they found him.
1: Yeah, you know, I'll say this one other thing about the Isles. They were in the, let's face it, they were in the final four last year. This is a team that's been together for the most part, a lot of these guys. Um, You know, Barry Trotz has been there. This is a hardened group. And they've got a lot of guys that have kind of grown up in that organization as well. Many were drafted by the previous administration. They should get credit for those picks, and Volvillier is one of those type of guys. But, like, the honors are not going to be an easy out. And neither are the Boston Bruins. And I think this is what you're seeing in these first four games. So uh, I'll be curious to see how it plays out over the next three. I kind of think if any one of these series could go seven games, this is likely going to be it. But I would imagine it'll be the same story, that it'll be a very small margin of uh, difference between the teams.
0: All right. Uh, extra day of rest for Carolina and and Tampa. And, and you're right, EJ. I'm not disrespecting the Lightning when I say I think the winner of Colorado Vegas wins the Cup because the Lightning are right there. It's so difficult to repeat. And the one thing I'll say about Tampa, any way you want to play it, right? Florida was wide open, you know, and they have certainly the firepower to get the goals you need. And you got to win a couple of 2-1 games like they did uh, in Carolina in the first two games of the, that series. They can do that as well. So, Uh, certainly Tampa's got to have to be somebody to consider because it doesn't seem however you want to play it they seem to have the ability to do it to do that
1: and and that's the mark of a champion right I mean I can remember those Islander teams that I was fortunate enough to watch in the in the early 80s that won four straight cups I mean if you wanted to beat if you wanted to try to beat them in the alley they were happy to slug it out with you if you wanted to try to play a skill game they were happy to do that you you let us know how you want to play and we'll beat you and that was the case with the Montreal Canadiens back before them, that Canadian team that won, you know, the four cups before the Islanders, and that's been the the trademark of of championship teams in this sport for many, many, many years, and uh, it's something that the Tampa Bay Lightning can certainly hang their hat on moving forward, is, uh, you know, now that they've got a relatively healthy lineup,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, this is a really strong team with a great goaltender, I mean, the only thing I would say is that you know, if you can, you know, if you can get in on their defenseman a little bit, and that's ex- excluding Victor Hedman and, and and likely McDonough as well. I mean, there's maybe some you could maybe mine some some uh, some chances against some of their back end guys, but they're going to be hard to deal with. And uh, you know, we'll see. Carolina's got the extra day off. I thought Carolina played very well in the early part of the second period. They were dominating the game. They ended up getting a four two lead. Then they just took some bad penalties, and the next thing you know, you know, they're trailing by the end of the second period. So, you know, that's the thing about the Tampa Bay Lightning is that uh, you just can't give them opportunities on the power play. They're too good. And when you think about it, no matter who they match up with, you've got to give the goalie advantage to Vasilevsky. Even if he gets outplayed, you probably thought to say he gets the edge. And, you know, I don't know if there's a better defenseman in the league than Victor Hedman. There probably yeah. isn't. Well, so, you know, those are two areas where the Tampa Bay Lightning start off in a pretty good shape. Yeah. In pretty good shape. They've got just tough. You know, give Julian Grisgoire a lot of credit. You know, he, he went out and traded some significant assets to get Barkley Goodrow and Blake Coleman, and those guys have been an integral part of the success of this group. I mean, they have been important players for that team. You know, like
0: Cooper said, sometimes you need that uh, four-wheel drive when you've got a bunch of Ferraris, and that's and certainly – what Goudreau and um, Coleman have been. You mentioned Hedman, and I was having this conversation with um, our producer here, uh, Anthony Pusick. You know, back in the day when the Yankees were winning their four championships in five years, they had Mariano Rivera. That, That was something that nobody else had. Is Hedman at that level that... The the Tampa Bay Lightning have him, and nobody else has anybody like him, and that's the difference maker. And you go back a couple of years ago when they got swept by Columbus. Why? Well, he wasn't in the lineup. Like, Is he as big a difference maker as anybody right now in the league?
1: I think he may be. I think that may be a good point. I mean, it's hard in hockey where, you know, even a guy like Hedman, he can play half the game, but he usually doesn't play more than half the game. You know what I mean? So... But you can use him in a lot of situations. You can use him just on the on the power play. I call him the maestro at the top of that power play because he distributes the puck so well and sets those guys up for success. Defensively, he's hard to play against. He's six foot six. He skates well. He can jump up in the play. He's a he's a brilliant player when you watch him. He like watch him on the power play, Don. He'll slide in from that center point and he'll take ice and he'll he'll make the zone even small. When you give him ice, he'll take the ice and then make the pass. Um, he's just a brilliant player in so many ways. He's really, I mean, he was his second overall draft pick way back when, and he's matured right now into something really special. I mean, if, he, he's somewhat reminiscent, I guess, to me, of like Larry Robinson as a big left shot defenseman, a Chris Pronger. Pronger was much more of an edgy, you know, nasty a hard player and maybe not quite as uh, all around as, as Hedman in some areas but I mean those are that's pretty high praise because both those guys are I mean they're both probably top 10 defensemen all time in this game and uh, Victor Hedman is a brilliant player so yeah they're very fortunate to have him there's no doubt and uh, if you look throughout the history of the game the teams that win the Stanley Cup usually have a player that fits in that ilk somewhere at the top of their defensive group just at the table for everyone
0: else and to play in all those big big moments. Yeah, he's de- he's definitely very, very special. No, There's no question about it, and that's something that's nice to have, and that's why Tampa always has to be a part of the equation, and they can certainly wrap things up tomorrow with a win in Carolina against the Hurricanes, a place they won already twice in this series. Um, Gerard Gallant was going to get a job, there's no question. Um, he's a good coach what he did with Vegas a couple of years ago he's been around a long time if you're a general manager and you've already talked to him considering him the job he did at the Worlds does that does that up the ante at all? does that change perspective at all? does that does that secure a position quicker for him? I mean how do you look at him now or any differently after what he was able to do with Team Canada?
1: Well, I mean, I don't uh, – I mean, it doesn't hurt them that, that, you know, Canada came back and, you know, they ma- they ended up making the playoff round based on uh, the fact that I think it was Latvia and Germany didn't go to overtime in their game, and it was a two-to-one game they played. So if that game had gone to overtime because of the way the point system is at the World Championships, Canada would have not been even in the playoffs. So, they turn around, they beat Russia, they beat Team USA, they beat Finland, they win the gold medal. Um, I mean, Gerard Gallant is a very accomplished coach when you think about what he did with the Vegas Golden Knights to take an expansion team to the cup final. He had success in Florida. Uh, people know who he is. I guess, like I said, I don't think it hurts him that he has you know this kind of comeback performance and the team wins the gold medal, but I don't know if it changes your opinion that much. It might... It might create more of a little bit of a bidding war if there's other teams that are looking for his services now because there's maybe a little more heat under the fire. But I think if you were interested in Gerard Gallant as a coach, you knew what you wanted and, and you liked him to begin with. So we'll see. I mean, there's been the rumor that he's going to be the Rangers' next coach, and, uh, and I'll be curious to see how that plays out because he would, you know, obviously he's been a successful guy in his career.
0: Yeah, no, there's no question. I, I always, I always felt that if I, if I saw what he did in Vegas, if I was Seattle, I'd be like, that's that's the guy that I want to have. But you're right, it's going to be a bidding war, and we'll, we'll see how that works itself out. And well,
1: it's Seattle. Too. Let's face it, they, he went to Vegas and in an expansion situation, went to the Cup final. Yeah. So that would tell you, you know, that he, he certainly been through a circumstance like that and been very successful. Now, Vegas went about things differently. I don't know how it was their first year and as they, you know, try to grow and develop. I mean, Vegas went into a we-want-to-win-right-now mode immediately, whereas Seattle may take a different approach. But certainly that's something I think Ronnie Francis would be looking at in terms of, uh, you know, here's a guy that's had experience in this situation. There was a lot of thought that maybe Ronnie was waiting to see what's going to happen with Rod Brindemore. Rod Brindemore seems to say that even though he hasn't signed a deal yet, that he's going
0: to stay in Carolina, yeah.
1: You know, who knows? And the job in Seattle is still open, so. I guess we'll
0: see how it plays out. So that's E.J. Raddick. Always good to talk to him on a Monday. We'll talk to him next week. Two games tonight. 6.30 Eastern Islanders and the Bruins from Boston. Not really sure home ice really means a lot. Both of these teams know how to win on the road. Both have won on the road in this series. I just think that has all the earmarks of a Game 7. So you know, people are asking me, is this a must win for the Islanders? Does the team that wins this game win the series? I'm not sure. Matter of fact, I know that Either of these two teams can lose tonight and still win the series. Now it means you have to win back to back games for sure, and you're facing elimination in both, and you don't want to be in that situation. But I think both of these teams are hardened. Both of these teams have a ton of playoff experience. So if either of these two teams were to lose game five as pivotal as a game five is, I can see either team bouncing back and and certainly winning the series. But you want to be able to get that edge and put the team on notice that they're going to be facing elimination on Wednesday when these two teams hook up back at the Coliseum. So should be a lot of fun. And then the Jets and the Canadians, and as we were talking about with EJ, that this series is over. Now, Petrie may not be able to go, and it changes things a little bit, so I wouldn't be shocked if Winnipeg's able to force another game here. But fact remains is this series is over, and if the Canadians have any shot, against the winner of Vegas and Colorado. One edge that they would have is a little bit of rest waiting for uh, Vegas and Colorado to wrap up. Otherwise, I really don't see Montreal having much of a chance against either of those two teams. But then again, nobody gave them a chance, including myself against Toronto, or thought they'd be in a position to uh, sweep Winnipeg. So I guess anything is possible with this Canadiens team. But you got to figure that the winner of Colorado Vegas at least is getting to the Stanley Cup final but Canadians can get a bit of an edge back-to-back games usually favors the team with the momentum and that certainly is Montreal but if Petrie can't go that could be a benefit for Winnipeg and then if Winnipeg can win this game force a game five Uh, and then you see what happens back in Winnipeg and if they can get that game six they'd get Shifley back so maybe just find a way to get back into the series some way shape or form tonight in Montreal against the Canadians and that game will be an eight o'clock start and it looks like uh, Canada is going to open up the borders EJ talked about that last week on the podcast now Trudeau's getting a lot of heat because there's people that want to travel back and forth Canadians specifically to the United States that haven't been able to do that even vaccinated people so they're kind of irritated that there's going to be a, a dispensation for uh, the Canadians or the Jets if they were to advance to be able to go back and forth across the border and then whoever they play, and in this case it'll be the winner of Colorado-Vegas, and that irritated some people, but uh, we're getting better. It's getting much better here in the United States with the pandemic, getting better in Canada, and instead of having to try to find a neutral site for uh, the winner of Winnipeg and Montreal to play, it looks like they'll get to play their home games, and they'll buy a little extra time because either team that wins, they're going to have home ice disadvantage. The series would start in the United States anyway, so they wouldn't have to worry about game three of the third round for that to happen, but they'd still have to allow the Canadians to cross the border and then come back in, but it looks like all that is going to be uh, no problem, which I think is good, because you want to be able to have home ice, and the Canadians already have had 2,500 people in the building, maybe that will expand for the next round, and what you're seeing in Vegas, what you're seeing in Boston, what you're seeing at the Coliseum, Carolina, Tampa, the atmosphere has been tremendous with these buildings near full or full, in the case of Vegas and Boston, and that's an edge, because you, you, you missed the fans last year, but you understood it, But the one thing you don't want to have is a situation where, like, let's say, you know, Montreal. They advance, they go to Vegas for Games 1 and 2, full building, apoplectic atmosphere, and then you go to a building with like less than 3,000 people for Games 3 and 4. Kind of takes the fun out of stuff. So hopefully Canada can kind of expand some things and get some fans back in the building because you really get a sense that the fans have something to do with it, right? And really adds to the atmosphere. So you'd love to be able to get every building, and it, it looks like... All of, the, all of the American teams will have close to capacity, but it doesn't look like Montreal is going to get to that point, but at least they have uh, 2,500 people in the building as opposed to the 550 in Winnipeg and the 550 in Toronto, and we'll see if that does get a chance to expand beyond the 2,500 people. Uh, for Montreal for game three and four of the third round. Got to stop that whole conference final. There is no conference final. It's the third round and then, of course, the Stanley Cup final. I guess the technical term for this would be the semifinals when we get to the third round, but I got to get out of the habit of calling it the conference final for sure. All right, we'll be back again on Wednesday. We'll get into your tweets. Wanted to have some one-on-one with EJ, uh, but we'll be able to answer your questions and get a clearer picture. Maybe Montreal finishes things off. Um, By the time we get to Wednesday, somebody will have a 3-2 series lead with the Islanders and the Bruins. Possibility by the time we get to Wednesday, Tampa would have advanced and we'll know uh, who's got the 3-2 edge in Vegas and Colorado. So we'll be back with you again on Wednesday. Want to get back in touch with me? The best way to do that is at Don LaGreca, hashtag game misconduct. Got to put the hashtag in so we're able to find it through all the tweets that we get. We'll be back with you again on Wednesday. This was the Monday edition of Game Misconduct.
1: This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca.